0: John's your client? Yes.
1: Ah, Oh, I did not know that.
0: It's like the hair club for men. Wow. Not what only did? a user, but also a client.
2: <laughs> the Fred Minnick Show is brought to you by 291 Colorado Whiskey, by Mictors, by Heaven Hill Brands, and DraftKings. Enter Fred at DraftKings.com for a chance at millions of dollars in prizes with first deposit.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Fred Minnick Show. Fred here. I've got an exciting episode for you this week. I am fascinated with the business of music. I always have been ever since Metallica and Napster. And this week I interviewed two executives in the music industry, two people who really kind of break down music and the financial aspect of it in a way that um, is is really easy to understand. And I had no idea when you listen to a song, so many people get paid off of it. And I didn't know... Uh, like how people yeah, out in the music industry make money as a whole. And it's fascinating and it all it is all based on uh, rights and just a, just an interesting interview if you're into music. Now, we are, this is a little bit of a break of uh, my normal type of guest. Uh, both Both of these gentlemen are dear friends. and so I usually don't have people who I'm you know, I'm close with on the show, but Mark Ford and I, you know, you know, we're almost BFFs at this point. You know, we, I go out on his boat all the time and in, um, in Tennessee and, you know, and John is a, is a rising star in the BFF category. Uh, he's just a fun guy, but this, this interview really is special to me because I, it, it's one of those things I'm, I'm constantly fascinated and curious about the business side of things. Like I, I could just, if I just talked to people who ran businesses, that would be a really great show to me. I would love that. And especially in music, it's, it's fascinating. I'm so excited to learn about how people basically make money and, you know, divvy that money out to workers and what have you. And I, and I got to say, after listening to these two gentlemen talk, I feel so bad for songwriters. Those poor people are neglected. But you're going to enjoy this week's uh, episodes. But I also got to tell you about DraftKings. Look, I told you about this last week. This is the biggest sponsor the show has ever had. I got up in DraftKings.com, and I actually entered my own code for a chance to win millions. Now, the as I read this, the season hasn't played out yet, so I'm crossing my fingers when you hear it. I'm a multimillionaire. We'll, we'll see about that, right? But if you haven't yet, head on over to DraftKings, the official uh, daily fantasy partner of the NFL. You know, they're putting you in the center of the action for week two. Bah, 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 bah. New customers can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes of their first deposit by signing up using the code Fred. Can you spell that for me? F-R-E-D. Fred. Get in on the action now. Weehoo! Giddy on in there. It's just simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how far your team stacks up against the competition. Fill the NFL action like never before with a free shot of millions of dollars in total prizes. Download the DraftKings app right now. Do it. Use code FRED. That's F-R-E-D, not the other way to spell FRED. This week, new customers can get a free shot of millions of dollars in total prizes Enter code FRED to get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes. That's right. It's code FRED, F-R-E-D, only at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And good luck on the millions of dollars. So seriously, head on over to DraftKings, enter code FRED, and get in on the action. So please enjoy this week's interview with my buddies Mark Ford and John Rudolph. And you better get ready because you're about to get a lowdown on the music business. But first, a word from our sponsors.
2: People want a great whiskey that isn't like every other whiskey. So nestled in the shadow of Pikes Peak, 291 Colorado Whiskey is distilled from grain to barrel to bottle. Exceptional Western whiskey, unlike any other. Passion permeates every sip. Utilizing grains from the Colorado Plains, water collected from Pikes Peak Reservoirs, and finished with Aspen Staves, 291 Colorado Whiskey is an award-winning single barrel and small batch whiskey.
3: For more information, follow us on social media at Mictors Whiskey, go to michters.com, or visit your favorite bartender. Michter's Distillery, it's all about the whiskey. Heaven Hill Distillery has been lifting America's spirit since 1935.
2: They celebrate American whiskey's rich traditions, guide its evolution, and champion its exciting future. For Heaven Hill, Whiskey is more than a profession, it's a personal passion that is poured into every bottle shared with newcomers and aficionados alike. So whether you enjoy the simple pleasure of Evan Williams Bottled and Bond, or savor the uniquely satisfying experience of a rare single barrel bourbon like Elijah Craig, 18 year old, you'll find a home at Heaven Hill. If you wanna learn more about the craft and techniques of making quality American whiskey, check out educational resources and sign up for their newsletter at HeavenHillDistillery.com. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Cheers.
1: All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to uh, the Fred Minnick Show. I'm excited about today's show because you're going to get to hear the inside guts of the music business. And we know that uh, there's a story every now and then about... Stuff that goes on in the music business. Well, they, I got two gentlemen here who uh, pull a lot of strings that you don't see, but <laughs> they end up in bank accounts. So uh, I got John Rudolph here with me and Mark Ford. How you doing, boys?
0: Thank you. Thank Good. You.
1: I think the most important thing is is to is for us to uh, kind of tell the story of, of how we all met and and how we 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 continue to be friends. But we met through Danny Wimmer of you know Danny Wimmer Presents, who you all worked with, and I worked with, to, you know, put on music festivals in Kentucky, and I found out on a day of picking barrels that you all had a passion for bourbon.
0: Yeah, you could, <laughs> passion's a nice way to put it, maybe.
1: When, when you get into this game, you find out that you don't have enough room in the in the house, and so now I've got a I've got a traveling mm. uh, bar here, so I've got over. I think over about 30 bottles here, somewhere on the counter over there. But, um, you know, once you get in, I know I've seen Mark's collection. Where are you at right now?
0: I'm very, very early. I'm transitioning from my wine collection to my whiskey collection. Oh, okay. So you're a big wine guy back in the day. I am. I am. But uh, I think since i met you, I've gone a bit the other direction. Always drank whiskey, but never anything that good. Yeah and um and now starting to get educated it's always about that i feel like when you learn more then you start to kind of get more interested
1: that's true that's true mark you're uh you're at the point now where if you're not picking a barrel you don't have a barrel pick on the schedule you get fidgety <laughs>
4: yeah no uh, my entry point was actually through make-a-wish foundation my uh a buddy that I work with sits on the board here in Nashville for the make- a wish foundation and uh, for several years he did an event called barrel of wishes and uh, Sazerac Buffalo Trace always helped out with the tastings and uh, provided the free tastings for the for the event and uh, over time they started to uh, donate barrel picks for it and I jumped up there a couple years ago and won the barrel pick and that was the day we met Fred That's right. Day yeah. day. It was very first day that of that was
1: that was your first barrel pick. That
4: was my very first barrel pick. Wow. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, and cool. the,
1: and then we, you know, I think I added. I the next year I did. Uh, I did. Uh, I was a part of the Make a Wish Foundation's. Uh, auction items and uh we did a private tasting in zach brown band's uh, studio
4: we did it was a good night that it was, was good really night. good night. Yeah, we, yeah. we raised good money that night so it's turned into a great event we've had you know obviously we didn't have it last year during covid but uh uh it kept growing and growing and growing bigger every year and then i co-hosted it two years ago and and kind of started tapping into some of my uh, uh relationships and friends and and the events just continued to grow i hope we get to do it again soon we don't we don't have it on the agenda yet but uh You know things are starting to loosen up a little more and hopefully we'll be doing that again soon
1: well boys i'm gonna i am abstaining from uh sipping bourbon today uh i like to call these uh you know in the nba they call it load management Mm -hmm. you know i'm trying to do the same thing and usually that means that you know i had too much the night before so uh we're having we're having a load management day today and by the way i've had a few too many with uh with mark before mark and, and my uh, my colleague Allison, she gets, uh, she calls me. And she's like, "Listen, the last time you and Mister Ford <laughs> got together, it was not a good next day. So make sure you watch yourself." And you know, I have he, that he, effect on people. She's like, "Mister Ford influences you, and you need to be very careful around him." So I don't know what you did to Allison or whatever, whatever happened when I was at the cabin last.
4: Book. Sorry, Allison. <laughs> well, that's the
0: other thing. The place, right? Being up at Mark's place on the lake, and you're just like, it's conducive to right. And then, befo- then sure.
1: before you know it, he's got a spider spray out. You seen that <laughs> stuff? He like like you'll, you'll be drinking and the It'll be three o'clock in the morning. He starts running out with this foam spray, chasing spiders and hornets and all kinds
0: of stuff. I mean, I guess you, it makes you productive.
4: Yep.
1: <laughs> well, I promised you all I'd be pouring you some great stuff. And yep. there, there's there's a bottle uh, here that I, I kind of honestly I kind of just found in my office and you know I get sent so many things and and sometimes a brand will send me a sample but I won't taste it I'll I'll try to get a um, uh, a duplicate of it in the store you know so I can make sure it's not like a like something that's been propped up by the distillery but I actually did taste this and it was great and then I tasted it side by side with a uh, with one I bought in the store and it was great so they were very similar I don't feel like they were the same, but this is the Old FitzGerald Bottled and Bond 2020 uh spring edition. Up. So uh that one right there will be will be Very my cool. first pour for you.
2: No wait. No, yeah,
1: Mark's uh Mark didn't waste any time you know, there. Uh, I mean, he just took it right out of your hands. It,
0: it, it wasn't even I mean, I was showing it to him. Was I, <laughs> I was already looking at it. I, I had
4: my eye on that one since we got going here. <laughs>
1: So tell us. Uh, let, let's go ahead and start with the with, with the with the music business. Tell us uh, what you all what you all do.
4: Go so, ahead, Mark. Yeah, I'll start there. So I uh, I had an indirect line into the music business. I, I moved to Nashville pretty much straight out of college. I grew up in the, the St. Louis metropolitan area and and moved down here to uh, follow a girl of all things and uh, shocker. Yeah, shocking. So I I was straight out of college and and. Uh, just finished a finance degree and got into banking. I h- hired in as a just a general analyst with a big, big commercial bank uh, here in Nashville and stumbled upon the fact they had a sports and entertainment group. So they were working with musicians and athletes and entertainers and uh, race car drivers. We had a big uh, NASCAR office. And, and a few months into my job, I ended up landing a, a job inside of that sports and entertainment group. So it was, uh, you know, quite the shock because I just went in thinking I was having an entry-level position and then found my way into the sports and entertainment group early <coughs> on. And Really what lured me into it was the NASCAR side of the business. I grew up racing cars and race cars around the Midwest and, and was really intrigued. And I actually knew some of the NASCAR drivers we were working with just through my time on the dirt tracks. And so that that kind of attracted me to that business, and then it just so happened they had a music practice too, and and then over time, uh, it really just became more about the music for me. So now I'm uh, 100% dedicated to the music industry, and and what we do is we we finance music companies, record labels, publishers, artists. You know, artists have a you know a big outflow to go on tour, and we'll offer them lines of credit or. You know, we also ha- handle their deposits, their day-to-day banking, and so, yeah, it's just a, all music companies that I work with, and it's, it's a lot of fun, and John, John's one of my clients, and we partner on a lot of business together and have, uh, you know, become really close over time, so he's, he's more on the actual music side where I'm more on the finance side of, of uh, in banking.
1: So John's your client? He is. Oh,
0: I did not know that. It's like the hair club for men. Wow not what only is? a user but also a client <laughs> <laughs> right oh no offense <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> I'm really...
0: yeah no so we met we actually met um is okay The cuss no can i cuss I oh yeah sure. of course okay yeah. i wanted to make sure like of how friendly this is oh very friendly, friendly.
1: friendly i mean i drink we drink whiskey the things that happen on this show can never actually appear on NPR or something like that, you know. I mean, just the other day I was talking about men's underwear with someone and things got really I mean, we went too far and it would not ever appear on the, you
0: know, PBS. Yeah, PBS. <laughs> um, yeah, so Mark and I met each other when I think the very first time was at the one bank that you're working for and you guys were in our syndicate for a company that I ran, which was um at the time the largest non-studio um, music publishing so music publishing is dealing with the songwriters rights mm-hmm. um the underlying composition and but i grew up just down the road here um so we're in nashville is that mm-hmm. okay to say we're in Nashville? sure now? absolutely and um i grew up in Hendersonville, so about 15 miles north of here and Hendersonville has a really storied music history um it's kind of you know kind of interesting but I was actually born in Chicago and we moved to Hendersonville when, uh, as I like to say, when the music business went corporate, mm-hmm. which was in the late 60s, early 70s, when the, the big labels in New York and L.A. said, hey, we should be doing something more serious in country. Um, and so my father came down and we moved to Hendersonville. And Hendersonville, if any as I always like to tell people if you've ever seen the Walk the Line movie. There's a scene in there, and most people can identify this, where Johnny Cash is uh, building June a home to try to get her back. And so that's Hendersonville. Beautiful spot on the lake. A lot of country music stars um, and people in the business live there. Um, And so, I mean, and also famously more recently for uh, Taylor Swift going to high school there. And uh, Diplo actually went to high school for two years, which is a funny story and how I know that and because um, uh, I'm older than obviously than all those people so uh, I never thought I'd want to be in the music business because uh, it's a really hard business and I saw that in my family and my friends families and um, especially my father is a professional professional musician as well and so I'm like I'm gonna I want something more stable in my life so first I started studying engineering then I went into and I was like this is hard There's no girls and it's hard. And uh, so then switched to uh, business, got caught actually switching to business and then uh, got called into the, literally to the dean's office. Said, hey, we noticed you switched in the business and your scholarships are in engineering. And I was like, oh no, this is about to get really bad quick. And they said, we'll we'll let you carry on over in in the business school, which was great. So when I got out or while I was in school, I worked in corporate finance for IBM. Um, and I'm like, all right, this is, this is the world I want to be in. And came out of school and got recruited by all the accounting firms of all things. And, uh, but they paid really well. So I'm like, all right, I'll go check this thing out and be maybe accounting's the way to go. Because in corporate finance at that time, it was super boring um, kind of gig. You didn't want to do that.
1: Did corporate awful, finance
0: awful. ever get fun? No, I mean, it was cause terrible.
4: It, I, I did it for six months before moving down here. I was at AT&T in a corporate finance department, and it was the most miserable job I ever had. And Luckily, I found my way into bank, banking and, and music.
0: So the day-to-day was awful, but I was in a unique situation because I didn't work there. I would work for four months. I'd go back to school and come back and back and forth. So when I was doing the boring stuff, didn't like that. But I worked at IBM in Lexington, Kentucky, and that got sold and I happened to be there right when that was being sold which was the largest leveraged buyout lbo deal done in american history at that time and since i had no ongoing affiliation with the company i got pulled into the corporate finance team that actually worked on the transaction oh, wow so that was that was like for me that was pretty exciting i mean you know ceos flying in in helicopters they had dogs around the perimeter because it was such a big change in ibms you know everybody always thought if i had a job at ibm i had a job for life and so there's a lot of like you know issues you had i think 7,500 people working on that site i don't know if you've ever been by there or not it's but anyway so it just turned out they created lexmark out of that but one of my jobs there which was cool was i went and did the employee survey. So employee filled out, said, I think we can save $100,000 by improving this process. So my job was I'd go to the plant floor and look at that stuff. So I got to learn like how everything worked, talk to every engineer, how the spring in an IBM keyboard worked. And if you you just did one little thing, it was different. And that guy could save the company half a million dollars. It was cool. That part was great. But getting out of that. So what happened was I was in Atlanta. I was a CPA of all things. and grew up around music and always loved it. And and um, worked in a record store for five years as a kid, and um, saw a ton of shows. I was lucky as a kid. I think I was talking to my dad about this. I think I saw at least fifty shows by the time I was twelve. Um, big shows. I saw Springsteen on the Darkness at the Edge of Town tour, seventies, late seventies. So all kinds of things. But I got a call from these two guys who were starting to hip-hop label I should say hip-hop you know at that time it was everything called mm. the Face Records in Atlanta which went on to have Outkast and TLC and Tony Braxton and really Goody Mob um, just Usher you know just this amazing roster and they needed some financial help they called everybody in town I was 22 or 3 years old and I was only wanting to do anything about music call the firms and my firm like pushed me out there and said hey yeah we got somebody you know, I'm like, I don't know anything about this. But we had a great relationship and that started my, my world into music. So we
1: could say that you were the, some of the financial aspect of one of the greatest
0: um, bands of all time, an outcast. Is that well, fair? In direct, I mean, the label had outcast. And, and I was on the outside or I was an outside advisor into LaFace who had OutKast at that time and trying to help them understand like what the value of their company was and how they could continue to grow it. Um, And so, yeah, so I was definitely around all that. Um, And, you know, it was a really cool and fun time because I remember going and seeing Usher and I honestly don't remember how old he was, but I would say maybe 12 and in the rehearsal space. So they'd get everybody who worked for the company would go this rehearsal space to let him practice and you're like uh, you know it was mind-blowing same thing with T- TLC and all these other I mean it was you have to realize that that whole scene was just happening so you know here I am who listens to punk rock and alternative you know music and I'm like in the middle of this like burgeoning scene and it was really cool and everybody treated me great and you know I still have good friends out of that time so that yeah, it was cool
1: yeah I think that's one thing that I've I've witnessed with with Mark is that you all get very close with some of your clients and um, Mark, I've seen you like really get 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 tied with it. We talk with some people and we talk about this all the time, but artists, these people who are plastered on billboards and magazines, they're super famous, they're just people.
4: They are. They are. They come in all shapes and sizes and personalities and yeah, <laughs> trying to manage all of them and, and know what you're dealing with. Cause yeah, they are uh Uh, they are different personalities for the most part but and they're all different but but nonetheless all uh you know for the most part good people uh and yeah just being able to talk money and talk business they they really you know respect the you know the advice i give them and 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 just helping them guide to various financial aspects of their careers and helping them with any number of things, whether it's buying homes or buying a jet or you know, buying a music catalog or financing some royalties. So a large part of what I do uh, in banking is financing the copyrights that John refers to. So you got a couple of different copyrights in, in music, and I'll, I'll let John talk more to that, but publishing and record label, uh, a recorded copyright of the two copyrights, and we can actually lend money against those assets. We, we study how the royalties work, we study the licensing, um, you know, there's values to it. You know, you can actually put a value on a song uh, based on its future cash flow, future projected cash flow. So that's a that's a big part of our business uh, in what we do. Like so, a barrel of whiskey. Just like a barrel of whiskey. Right. You value a yeah. barrel of whiskey. Um, so, yeah, we, we do some financing for artists and publishers and labels and where we can actually take that, take those copyrights and lend money against them and record a mortgage on it. Just like I'd record a mortgage on a house.
1: So how, do, how does the process go? Do they just, like, like, you know, they have a Rolodex, of music finance guy, and you're in there, and they call you?
4: <laughs> no, it's usually more word of mouth. So, you know, you do one artist good, you know, do do something that they need, and they tell their friend. I mean, the music community is a pretty small community. Uh, they, they all talk, and everybody pretty much knows each other. Uh, you know, a lot of it runs through attorneys, too, and managers, so... You know if you help one artist out they, they tend to tell other people and that's pretty much how our business has been we don't we don't do any marketing for the most part our bank does marketing but us as a music group we're not out putting advertisements and billboard and mm. stuff like that and pretty much everything we do is is generated by industry contacts and relationships
1: so what'd you all think of the old Fitzgerald
4: lovely Oh man, I've been waiting to talk about it here. It's <laughs> like, I, I keep smelling it. I, it just smells great. It does. Tell me what I'm smelling here, Fred, because I don't think I can pinpoint it. But it's really well, good.
1: look, I've I have been, uh, as you can tell from that bottle, um, I've hit that pretty hard with uh, with some previous guests and some friends, and uh, it is a caramel yeah. bomb. I was gonna say it's caramel just, bomb. Yeah.
4: I love the finish to it it just yeah it it's really... got like a
0: little butterscotch
4: mm-hmm. like for
0: me on it yeah, it's great
1: it's 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 an exceptional pour it absolutely is and um it i don't want to say ever. there's not there's nothing on this table that's like it there's a lot of good whiskey on this table but there's nothing that's like that one but good. i'm glad you i'm glad you like it because once i'm well, i'll leave this here with you john oh my god when i when i, when I head out don't get my address out
0: but we are in historic germantown yeah sitting on the site of a former brewery named rock city uh brewery from the 1800s and 20s so have
1: you done a survey or anything like that with a metal detector to see if there's anything cool
0: out there it's a good idea but i mean i think i'd have to start cracking up concrete or get the lidar oh yeah it's not good you don't want to do that
1: so uh give us uh and another yeah, Mark right. Mark just, 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 just stood compare. up and swiped the Mcteer's ten year old, without uh, you know he just. <laughs> I'm going right
4: in, man. I just wanted to smell. It. You can you like pour, that l- already, pour a little yeah. bit more there?
0: can yeah, have more of that. What's that? Mcteer's oh. ten. Mm. You want to try? No, I'm, I'm a big fan of Mcteers. That's why I, know I you went, I went yeah. for
1: this one. Well, you can. You're not going to give John any.
0: I said, I said, I offered. I've had it. I want to, I want to see how much of my palate I can keep salvaged. Where should I go next, Fred?
1: Well, you want to stay, you want to stay in bourbon. You want to go to rye. Mm. You want to try Peyton Manning's bourbon?
0: Yeah, let's do that. Mm. I'm a Tennessee grad. There you go. Shocking, I know, for most people to believe. I graduated college, but I did. I don't think you could,
1: you could do your job and and not have uh, graduated college. Uh, when you were telling us uh, a story at lunch about how one copyright was um, you know re redone covered over and over and over again yeah. and tell it tell tell the audience that story and and i'll have some follow-up questions but this is fascinating
0: so i'll start with in the last couple of years and it's going to vary from year to year but of the songs that were on the Billboard Top 100 at the end of the year weren't actually written by the artist. And it's something that people have heard of songwriters, but they don't really understand kind of the relationship into the business. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, but to kind of set the you know the basis for it all as mark said there's a master recording right which is a copyright and that's basically the embodiment of the sound onto a, onto some kind of format okay that's one copyright but that is derived actually from another copyright and that copyright is the composition or music publishing referred to a lot of times copyright so somebody had to quote unquote write that song mm-hmm. before somebody could sing that song
1: yeah, is that the words and the and, and the, the music and the music bars and stuff?
0: Correct. So in the it, old days, right? In the old days, a lot of times when you had writing teams, you had words by somebody and music by somebody. So you all the, you can go look at these things. Go online to the U.S. Copyright Office. You can actually go and see it. and uh, You like a famous old song or even a new song you like? You just type it in, and it'll say who wrote it and kind of show you some history about it. It's pretty interesting to look at, but. Um, You know, you had somebody, a lot of times there's these buildings in Nashville and New York and other places where somebody would sit and play piano and somebody would sit there and write the words, and that's how you got the words and music part. Nowadays, those things are combined. You occasionally still see that in musicals or some kind of, you know, something that's maybe more theatrical. But in contemporary music, it's you don't see the split up between who wrote the words and who wrote the music. Um, But to the story you're referring to, I was telling a story that we used to own at the company that i ran it's called bug music uh copyright uh called fever and most famously originally introduced by an artist named peggy lee um, everybody knows this song and um i think so we sold that company 10 years ago and at that time there was probably 1200 different recorded versions and the reason was because so Peggy Lee did it, and it was kind of a torch song, diva-type song, then every diva after that would do it. So Mariah Carey did it, Beyonce had done a version, you know, and on and on and on. So the songwriter gets paid on all 1,500 versions of that song. The artist gets paid on the version they do. So being a songwriter, if you can imagine, all those recorded masters then funnel down to one copyright, and that's the, the composition or music publishing copyright.
1: And that songwriter is make is is making bank
0: on that for a song like that. Yeah, yeah.
1: What, what does an average? Uh, ha- oh boy. What does an average <laughs> songwriter make? How
4: do Uh-oh. they do? Twenty five thousand song- dollars. Yeah. If you want to talk about the average, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of writers that are registered at BMI and ASCAP, and I would say <laughs> the the median is. Probably a hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah, there's just yeah. a ton of them that don't make anything that are registered songwriters and right. they've put music out, but just to make it commercially successful, it takes a lot. So, um, you know, there are a lot of songwriters and a lot of them that don't make. That's why the starving songwriter is a is a real thing. Um, but now the good ones, I mean, I, I see them making a couple hundred thousand dollars pretty regularly. There's some that make multiple million dollars a year regularly some of your big artists you think like a Taylor Swift who also writes all of her own music I mean goodness as a songwriter she's she's killing it I mean probably just as much as as the recorded music side of it Mm.
1: so let's say um, there's there's a lot of writing teams like I I have a lot of friends who are songwriters and they have like a team of five people how how does how does that work how do they divvy up the the share they
4: duke it out
0: so, they well, get so, really
4: drunk. They finish a bottle. And <laughs> they decide. I that wrote ten percent. I wrote fifteen <clears> percent. <throat> no, they do. They they put a percentage on what they wrote and and what they brought to the song, and that all gets recorded at the copyright office. So then, then so, so like the a, splits.
0: I mean, to be technically correct, the splits are not recorded. True, the they're not recorded. Office, just who the right. who the authors are are all recorded. The
4: lists I see, they're recorded. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So it's kind of like an LLC if you have five partners. It's, it's, well, you know, um,
0: it's, it's notorious because some industry parts of the industry are really good about it and some aren't. So in other words, country is pretty good. Like they decide country, kind right. of on the spot and say, okay, yeah, you get 50%, you get 25, you get 25. Other more contemporary music, a lot of times in hip hop, it will not will never be settled. And so it, it creates big issues for some certain songwriters because it just is in dispute and claims forever even though the masters come out, everybody knows the song. So the companies who are the ones who have to pay those royalties are just holding the money till the parties figure out how the split should be. So, And why
4: it's a little easier and probably a little cleaner in Nashville too. And, and in country music is a lot of times they're all in the same room, writing that song. So right. they all know, Hey, you really did more on this song. You deserve this. And there's usually a pretty good agreement. Well, the, a lot of these other genres, they're all over the country. One guy might be in New York and he's right. sending his file to the guy in LA and, And vice versa, and then then the song gets done and sometimes it gets released and they haven't even settled on splits. So then that creates a nightmare for a publisher or a label that they don't know who to pay. And, you know, we we don't need to go too deep into it here, but there is just piles of unclaimed funds in music right now. I mean, Just uh, cause the, the copyright's not being registered. Directly. I will put my name I'm in the hat. In black box.
0: Yeah, I think you. I will put my name in the hat as the author of those songs. You know what? All you have to do is when you know one of your friends is in a writing session to show up with a bottle and I guarantee you'll probably get like 5%.
3: That's it, a, By
0: the way, it happens all the time. So. Fred's ah, like, okay, I'm in. Note, note to
1: self. I'm moving to Nashville. I'm just gonna be the. Well, here is a bomb. great
4: recent example of this. A guy by the name of George Burge uh, just released a song, and and he wrote it and ended up cutting it himself. But it was kind of a joke that the song got made up because they were. He was on. Uh, it was his first day on TikTok, mm. and he saw a, a lady saying, "You know, country music ain't nothing but beers, beers, trucks, trucks, girls, and." short shorts and he's like oh that's interesting so he started playing around with that saying and now he's got a song that went viral led to a label deal with Sony and it's just a great song but he did a total spin on it that it's not about just beer beer trucks trucks so yeah check it out it's it's a good song but a great example of that He ended up giving her the idea a co-write Right. For giving him the idea for that lyric So she ended up getting a co-write And she really didn't even participate in the writing But the if,
1: if he didn't do that Would she have like a legal claim?
0: Probably I mean She might have a claim I don't know that she'd win um, Because there's certain elements that aren't Quote unquote copyrightable mm-hmm. um, And just an inspiration Like I'm looking at this bottle Sweetens Co-, oh, Co Yeah it's named after the golf course There you go so it's like i just start writing a song that's inspired by that eh, you know pretty tough pretty tough you know she would have to make some hardcore but you know life's too short and just give her some a, a little piece of action on it and, and move on with your life right? and karma right good yeah, karma. exactly exactly so uh, by the way this
1: is good yeah i mean it's it's, it's sweet yeah, they they did a good job uh, their their latest blends I like better than their uh, first ones and those and that's their is that the first it's the, I think that's the third the
0: third batch uh, what, where did, do you know is it all it's all it, it's all Dickel. it is yeah, yeah it, you can kind of tell right Dickel's got one of those
1: really noticeable flavor yeah. profiles and that's got like a flintstone vitamin. You know, plenty some vitamin dehydrated orange, that kind
4: of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, tell me the, so you mentioned like the label pays out and then the, okay. and then the publisher pays out. Mm-hmm. Uh, as someone who writes books, I still don't understand music publishing. Like the, it seems to me like that is a, that's a, that's a, style of the business that might be carried over, but it may be getting replaced or maybe getting discontinued. Tell me what, what do publishers and music do? Cause it's different than a label.
0: So right? yeah, well let's, let's think about it. It wasn't different. Originally it was exactly the same, okay. right? Because it all started sheet music. Right. right. So they did the same thing, pressing them, putting out books back in, you know, probably a lot of folks follow your pod, remember going into a record store and you could still buy sheet music, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stick up on your piano and play it. So that's how it first started. And that's where the moniker, you know, music publishing. And then piano rolls. That was the next piece. Now, those publishers, at you know, at that point, I can't remember when the phonograph was invented, but, you know, music publishers existed before record labels existed. And so they made the if you remember the paper rolls that you'd put it in a player piano. Right. Right. And, and that's how it kind of evolved. And then the labels and there's, there's legal action that happened back in the old days because movie theaters and studios, like the studios owned movie theaters. They also had music divisions and DOJ and antitrust like broke that up in the early 1900s. And so when that started to happen, then there's these kind of two lines, right? There was the, record companies even though there were not necessarily records quite yet and the publishers so the so the ownership and rights and management and distribution and sales and all that of those right that changed over time because you still own those rights so you were then you license those rights to other parties versus kind of printed it yourself and that's where we are in the modern evolution is a sense that you're still doing everything except for not stamping out pieces of paper uh, instead, you're giving a right to somebody else to create a CD or a stream or you know, whatever it might be. Is that enough?
1: Yeah, I got it. So, so the who's the most powerful person in the in the cog? Is it the publisher or is it the label?
4: Kind of ebbs and flows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, depends we, on the songwriter. Yeah, and depends on that too.
0: Songwriters got. If you're a big songwriter, you got a ton of power because yeah. the everybody wants your song like you can write a hit if you can write a hit then you've got you get to choose from the pick of the litter
4: yeah you, so you get hot songwriters and hot producers just like you have a hot artist if this producer's right. been known to help an artist record 10 of the most amazing albums of their career then all these artists are wanting to go to this producer to produce their next album while well, they become more in demand they can pretty much name their price same thing kind of goes with songwriters that once a songwriter has a really big track record of success, all these artists want to come in and co-write with them, and other writers want to come in and co-write. So, um, yeah, there there is definitely a, a power and leverage depending on where you're at in your career. I right. Guess. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, from uh, someone who's made a career in um, um, in songwriting, Jesse Alexander is someone mm-hmm. that I've had on the show. Yeah. And you know, and I and I remember her telling me about. After she did the Miley Miley Cyrus one, like everybody was like was like calling.
0: Uh, I think she was signed at Disney. I think she was a writer for Disney.
1: Yeah, she and she's got like, you know, now she's got her own stuff out. But uh, one thing I I noticed with her, I was like, she's so talented as a as a musician. You know, are some of these songwriters? Do they just do they really want to be performers, and they're just doing what they can to to stay in the business?
4: Both, yeah. Some of them want to be artists too, and some of them have aspirations of being artists, but they're already really good songwriters. They just haven't made their way as an artist. There is a big bucket of those, but there's also an equal bucket of those that don't want anything to do with the limelight. I just want to be over here, write my music, and let somebody else go take all the fame and notoriety, and you know, I'll just get paid for their music. So or they,
0: yeah, or they did it, right? They, they tried. It and don't want to do it anymore. And, and yeah. didn't and didn't pan out for them and so now take it,
4: here's a good example of that recent day is like a Thomas Rhett so Thomas mm-hmm. Rhett's daddy Rhett Aikens you know he was really on the up and up in country music as a performer and, and he basically just got burned out with all of it and now he writes songs for endless number of country musicians and it had, has had numerous number ones and I would say he's probably made more money as a songwriter now than he ever did as an artist if I had to guess huh
1: okay now uh i think uh are, do i need to get fresh glasses for you
0: i got one more left okay let me mark might be ahead of me
1: let me go let me grab uh let me grab a fresh box
0: you can't have any more
4: yeah
0: <laughs> all right i'm gonna i'm gonna pick a random out just pick something out
4: So to kind of tie back how you ask who has the power, who's paying who basically in that situation, what what happens is an artist or a label will go to a publisher um, and say, hey, my artist wants to record this song. They'll actually have to get a license from the publishing company in order to record that individual song that they've written. Mm -hmm. So then every time that that master recording is used or sold, uh, or makes money, they've got to pay a license back to that songwriter. So that's how the money flows between those two. A label is paying a publisher every time that song's sold or streamed, um, and that you know there's different license types you can talk about, whether mechanical or if it's used on TV, uh, sync licensing and commercials. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there's there's all different types of licensing, and it's always evolving too. Because thing we didn't have streaming, we didn't have digital not terribly long ago. So the, this has all just been newly created and it's always a, an evolving game. Well,
1: no, I'll tell you, it the, but by the way, uh, Mark, pour yourself that smoke wagon, uh, the one with the metal on it, to your left. I just poured it. it, yeah. So yeah. That, is, uh, that is a barrel pick that I did.
0: Uh, did you do the blend too? Uh,
1: well, it, it's Fred's blend. So the, how it became a blend was I, was, I tasted, two barrels and we were going to do them. We were going to do two single barrels and they accidentally put them together. And so it just Mm. became a blend. I see. And it, it, it was came out better than both of them. (laughs) It's a single barrel. So it's like
0: the happy accident is magical. I mean, that's
1: what they said from the distillery. And I'm not always like, yeah, that's, that sounds right. I mean, it's, that stuff happens all the time.
4: Do you remember the happy accident you came up with when we were, the night you were talking about, you were rough the next day? Yeah. What What did I do? Weller was a, 12 Weller McKenna.
1: was Yeah. The Weller 12 and McKenna. That turned McKenna. out fabulous together. Yes. That was like, it was also like a, like a, like a sad revival of like my two favorite products I used to buy on a regular basis that I in part ruined. But um, uh, the so when we look at you talked about the evolution of um, of music, you all were kind of kind of kind of came into business a little bit after this. Uh, John, you might have been there uh, during this time. But what what's the music industry's feelings on
0: Napster? Like Napster Uh, was Napster 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 Napster. I can tell you, like, so I have. I mean, I have great Godfathers in this business, like. My godfathers were the generation removed from the guys who held people out the window and said, you're going to give us 25% of this song. And that's that's all true, by the way. Um, you know, you see that in movies, but I mean, I've met the, those people. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is another funny thing. They're all dead, or at least everybody says they're dead. Oh. And, and I say this because I'm not going to name names, but I had a client who was the two of them were probably one of the greatest all-american songwriting teams of you know in american music history certainly top five and we were working on a transaction for them Mm -hmm. and as they got older and and so we kind of marketed their catalog or part of their catalog to some folks and um and they said hey you know we just want to uh we really want to consider this for a second, you know, whether we should do this or not. And we're like, well, why? And I said, well, there's this, you know, there's this individual we might need to take care of in the transaction. And we're like, okay, you know, like, and by the way, these conversations at the last minute are not that unusual. Like something pops up. I mean, it could be all kinds of things. And, um, so we're like, all right, well, what is this about? You know, I said, well, it's about this person. And now we're like, That person's dead now, and this person has been like immortalized in movies as you know, having a you know, let's just say, relationship with a lot of people from an era in American history. Okay, and um, uh, he's
1: really doing a good job talking around this without mentioning
0: any names, but he's trying. Well, I mean, I don't want to get axed either, (laughs) right? So, um, (laughs) so we're sitting there, going, okay. They leave the room. We're all looking at each other and and I'm with guys who've been around longer than I've been around, you know, in the business at this time. This was early 2000s. These guys are in their seventies and, um, I'm like, uh, you know, like that guy's like long gone. I know his kids who are in the business and they're older than I am. Yeah. And, uh, and they said, no, you know, we like people are telling us he's still alive and living in Australia. You know, and they were dead serious. You wow. know. Now that person's never shown up again in you know after that. but it's interesting.
1: The fear know. they had from long ago carried over into that moment.
0: Right. So, so anyway, talking about the Godfathers of, you know, who taught me mm-hmm. w- about the business um, and I was kind of raised by them and I'm really fortunate to have had that happen because I had a huge impact on my overall career. And at the age that happened for me was late 20s and I got exposed to a lot. But I was a CFO for one of the larger independent music publishers at the time in '98 um, and w- it was a company called Windswept. We were owned by a Japanese company called uh, Fuji Sankey or Fuji TV. And the uh, so I was young I you know I actually you know, studied, IT and computer science in school was part of what you had to do, right? I grew up on a TSR-80 or, you know, playing the Atari 2600. Like computers weren't scary to me. You know, technology wasn't scary. I understood how it worked. Mm-hmm. And um, and I got, my boss and I heard about this thing and we went out and we got this thing called a Rio. It was a, the first MP3 player, holder, You plug headset into it. I think it was 64 megabytes something like that maybe 124 megabytes and so you know it could hold like 10 songs you put a CD into your your computer and then this hooked up through you know I don't remember what kind of cable it was at that time and I was like this is incredible you know this is gonna be amazing and uh, but then everybody's like well how do we get paid and And we ended up selling our company shortly thereafter, right before the hit. So the timing of that is incredible because 2000 was the peak of all music revenue uh, of all time. It was 2000. More CDs had been sold in any time before that. It was just, everything was on fire. We were publishing the Spice Girls. It was, that was incredible. I mean, it was an amazing time. And then boom, you know, when it came out, you know, the timing could not have, have been, you know, kind of worse if you would, because like everybody's raking in money left and right, living high in the hog. I mean, those were like the huge glory days. So yeah. it had a huge impact. Um, you know, where we are now is probably a good spot. I don't think anybody wanted it to happen that way, but I think it forced the industry because otherwise like licensing deals, the, we would not be where we were, are today in streaming if it had not been for, that technology showing up and kind of like showing how everybody how easy it really was.
1: Mm. It it is interesting to see where things are uh, today because streaming is that's how I get my music. You know, we were just listening to some Pitbull earlier, uh, Bluetoothing it over there from uh, from Mark's uh, iPhone. So it's uh, streaming rules now. Are there any different? Uh, you got Apple, you got Spotify, you have all these different types. You're, Are there any different types of rights or anything like that that are uh, given to these streaming devices?
4: It is a specific license that was created just for that type of use of the music, yes. And it's actually even led to a whole other organization being formed for helping administer those royalties. You know, we we just went through here a couple years ago, I guess now we passed the Music Modernization Act, which was a big overhaul. Of, of music licensing and that's still being rolled out but part of that was a whole new collective that is going to distribute all these streaming royalties and digital royalties and uh so yeah there, there were no license type like this you know prior to napster you know that this was all just kind of developed and uh and rolled out but yeah it's just back to john's point before it's just sheet music that was your publishing well now I don't know how many different license types are there now these days And and they're just created. They just, people have to figure out how to monetize it and mm-hmm. create a license for it.
0: I mean, like to get geeky for a second, like there would be questions like this. So every time a song is streamed, it's actually cached somewhere. Yeah, you know? so it's a portion of it sitting on your phone, right? And so it, if it can download the entire song temporarily to your phone. It's not happening simultaneously. Like one bit's not coming across, you know, for everything you hear. So it's sitting there and then it's played and then it, you know, disappears. And because the technology is being as efficient as it can possibly Mm -hmm, be. Right. mm -hmm. So if your stream, so that in theory is a download, right? It's been downloaded sitting on your phone. Well, yeah, but it's ethereal. It's only going to exist for a second on your phone. Then it's going to disappear. Or is it? Because we all know everything still exists on, until it's right. crushed, right? So those are like the early arguments on like, well, you need to pay us for that. Well, that's a different rate than if it's like just a pure stream, like, cause that's what radio is, right? Mm-hmm. So you get in all these this fascinating kind of you know arguments and now everybody's kind of come together on what it is. And then new technologies show up. And a lot of people do the Napster model or the Spotify model. So like with Peloton. Peloton just started using music and having, and that became a really important part of their overall offering, right? You take music off a of Peloton, and then you're just listening to someone yell at you, the pedal faster, right? right? So, but you put music on there, you get a beat. They, they they actually gear where they are in their tempos based on what songs are playing. And, I take right. it you're a Peloton user. No, I'm. Uh, I, if they send me one, I will be. <laughs> uh, I'm using the their competitor right now Oh, okay um, and that's for a different reason but the um, which is also pitbulls uh, got a yeah. feature on there so um, who is got licenses and did the things the right away but anyway they end up having to have a huge settlement you know um, and but that's that incorporates part of the licenses my long point is there's some new th- you know variant always occurring mm-hmm. like tiktok or whatever that might be how's that getting paid you got to kind of come up with a specific set of rules but we have a baseline of types of uses and then those get mixed together to actually create what the end license is
1: i know uh, on, on youtube mm-hmm. um you know you use a song that you shouldn't and you'll yeah. get flagged within seconds um same with um Instagram and Facebook, you know, my wife put together a little compilation of, of when our child, one of our kids was born and she got a copyright claim, like within seconds. So like there's markers inside the songs now that, that protect them from being used. Uh, but if used. you
0: choose not to monetize that and let the music right holder monetize it, then you can let it go.
1: Yeah. I, I think it, at, at this time with Facebook, was, we're talking seven years ago, right. so this was probably very early in right. that time, but they just, straight up like deleted it. But um Yeah, all these all these platforms growing. It is changing. What are we gonna say?
4: Mark? I was say tying it back to like alcohol and venues and bars. Uh I've got several friends that own bars and they always, you know, kinda of complain, Oh, who's this ass cat coming to me for money all the time? who's BMI? Why do they keep yeah, coming to us for money? Point. So just so you guys are all easy with it. That's actually these poor songwriters being paid for the use of their music. It's not going to, to big corporate fat wallets or anything. It's actually going, all of that money that's collected for those venues like that, bars, restaurants, all the general licensing, that actually all goes straight to the songwriters and that they're all not-for-profit organizations that, that collect that money and distribute it. Um, so so if it's, you have a, going for a good if you have, if you
1: have a restaurant or bar and you're just playing like radio music, you have
0: to pay a license out you have to pay
4: general. If you have any music playing whatsoever in your any in, any, your commercial, walls, venue, any uh, commercial venue, so
0: restaurant, store, anywhere, banks, yeah, yeah. Wow. lobby music, hotels, elevator, elevator, yeah, wow. So you know, one of the things I always like to tell people because there's a lot of new money coming into the space, and they always. You know, and I consult to a lot of those people, or they get to me and they want me to help them explain it because it's it can be a bit of an arcane topic. But I always like to explain it this way, and this is great for your listeners as well. You get up in the morning, and the first thing you do is you flip on the TV to see what the weather is, and there's like a noise in the background. Live action weather, that's actually a music use that somebody paid for. That TV station paid for a package to songwriters. To actually get that use. Then they play a song behind there, and you get up and you're gonna go, okay, I'm gonna go brush my teeth. And you got that toothbrush that your kids gave you. It says something like, uh, who let the dogs out while you're brushing teeth for two minutes, or your kid, right? A songwriter's getting paid for that as well, to that Mm embodiment. Then you get in the car to drive to work and you turn on the radio, a songwriter's getting paid for that. Then you walk to lunch and you're at the subway and they're playing music, and then a songwriter's getting paid for that. Then you come home and you watch a TV show uh, with your family and you hear The Who on, on the front of CSI, and Pete Townsend, who wrote 100% of that song, uh, is getting paid for that, right? So throughout, every time you hear music in your day, which you don't think about until somebody like me says, think mm-hmm. about this, how many times you're intersecting with it throughout your day, in all those different weird formats of video game, an app, whatever, YouTube, whatever it might be, there is a machine behind that. That is, you know, the wheels wobble a lot on it, but somehow it still gets you down the road, and that's collecting money to try to get back to the songwriters. But let me give you an idea of what that is. We're talking about a, a thousandth or ten, ten one ten thousandth of a penny is what you know a writer is getting paid. Well, okay, say that amount again because that was a lot, very little. <laughs> so, and, you know, I'm I'm being super general. Okay, But it's somewhere between, I mean, it can be, you know, between say one one hundredth of a penny and one ten thousandth of a penny is the, for every stream, the part that's going back to a songwriter. Good Lord. Now, it's different for different things, XM Radio versus Spotify versus YouTube versus, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm being a little bit of an advocate for the songwriter in saying some of this because there are places they do do better, but it's never like, you know they're getting ten cents. You know, the only time they're getting ten cents is when something physical is sold. Otherwise it's just tiny, tiny, tiny micro fractions. And that in Nashville in particular has wiped out an entire class of songwriters. Don't exist anymore. I'd say that the songwriter class in Nashville is probably fifty percent of what it was um, ten years ago. Wow. Yeah. Pretty sad actually.
1: Yeah, it is sad. But there but also like there's seems to be a lot of uh, talent that is the artist and the songwriter right now like a lot of a lot of good ones
4: yeah if you uh if you wrote all your own music and you didn't give away your publishing to your music publisher and just didn't admin only deal and you somehow didn't give up your master recordings to your label you're doing very well i mean if you're getting paid what kind of what kind of pressure very Very difficult to do there are very few of them like that what kind of pressure
1: is on is on the artist to to give up those rights because you know metallica just got back it's it's masters Mm -hmm. and they were like and i remember talking to lars about that and Mm -hmm. was like this was the best it was like one of the happiest days of his life right you know it was just it seems to me like there's a the label or whoever just they they write a check and they want those rights you know how do, how much pressure is on the artist to give up those rights
4: it's all about who has the leverage really i mean it's what it you depends want. on where you are in your career yeah
2: and, and it's like, also what yeah. you
0: want i mean that's a look i never buy into like you and i have to be adults right like we have right. to. like you've made a lot of decisions in your life to get to the path that you're at and some of those you know you may have like felt like you sold yourself to the man or whatever you had to do to kind of make some of those choices sometimes. And you're like, Oh man, I don't want to go work. Like I worked in a grocery warehouse. And then after that I would go to 84 lumber and work outside. I mean, you know, like I got to do what I had to do to, to get to where I am. And, and so it's a, it's an interesting industry because one of the things I always like to say is like, if I um, have a startup, you know, mm-hmm. say I'm Mark Zuckerberg and And that's probably not a great example, but good enough. And I started Facebook. And then I took, um, I went out and raised a million dollars on a $10 million valuation. Right. So somebody's owning, you know, probably at that time, it wasn't even 10 million. It's probably 5 million. So somebody owns 20% of my business. And all of a sudden, I turned that into, you know, a $500 billion company. That person who put that first million dollars in is probably you know, um, you'd have to think about dilution, all these other things, but just spitball and say, you know, they're $50 million probably in value, right? That they've got off of their million dollar investment. Well, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't go back to them and say, you've made enough. Now give it, you know, I want you to give me back the equity, right? And so in the music business you have today, more so than any other time, you have the ability to to record your own music, so much more cheap than you ever could, right? We can mm-hmm. all get GarageBand, doesn't have to be great. We know that because hits. there's a lot of hits that come out that don't technically sound good. <laughs> um, then distribution. So just like we were talking about liquor business and distribution and how kind of locked up that can be sometimes, uh, that's the way it used to be in the music business. Like the main reason, the biggest reason you needed besides money that you needed a label was because you had to get into their distribution chain because they controlled retail. But you don't need that anymore. So it's opened up the different possibilities. So what happens then to me is it's, it's a choice. It really is a choice. Do you want to take if you're having some success? Do you want to take a big check now? Because you're just just like any of us, you're doing the risk equation like I'll put the money in my pocket and maybe nothing will ever happen in my career, but at least I know I put away some money in my pocket. Or do I want to hold out because in the long term, I know if I'm successful, then owning all that's going to be actually a ton more value, multiples more of value. Um, but if I go to a label and then cry about it later that I feel like they're ripping me off or or they ripped me off and I didn't know what I was signing and all these different things, I'm like, okay, but you have enough resources out there now to kind of teach yourself on what the possibilities are. And, um, so now I think the, the, the biggest equations are not distribution because you can get distribution for an album for 35 bucks for a year if you wanted to. So that's not what it's about. Now it's about advanced, meaning how much money can you put in your pocket and marketing and still the labels are still really good at marketing. And they still have a you know big
4: influence on radio, totally. what's getting played on the radio, yeah. what's getting on put Spotify. on the playlists, yeah. you know, so that's what's driving it now. So it's, you can go ahead and latch on with a Universal or a Warner, but they're going to get you onto those playlists. It's going to be a lot harder for you as an independent right. to make your way onto those lists right. or make your way onto country radio uh, if you're not associated.
0: With but if you start people. to have action, like followers and views on any social platform, you will immediately be identified by somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing you have to do is you kind of have to weed out and be careful at the beginning, because there's going to be a lot of people come out of the woodwork that maybe aren't aren't in the business. Yeah, Yeah. the
4: the story of George Burge, a perfect example. They were actually just hanging out, having some friends, songwriters, and they put it up on TikTok. It was his first day on TikTok, he posted this video up on TikTok. This is all secondhand story, by the way. Um, it goes viral overnight. He wakes up the next morning and he's got hundreds of thousands of views and millions all of a sudden. Next thing you know, he's getting calls from labels. They, they identify that. They see, oh, this social media platform, this guy got a million streams on this, whatever he In posted. Like he's a getting day. a call. And wow. That's what happened to him. He got calls from all of them.
1: That's awesome. So, what'd you all think of the, the smoke wagon? Oh, Blend the Dead. Yeah. I liked it. It's it got- doesn't
4: have as strong of a smell, but the is really good i feel like some of these others put off 119 proof too yeah no it's definitely doesn't smell 119 proof
1: so what this this is going for stupid money on the secondary market oh yeah
4: yeah it's you know
1: the secondary market is a is um an an unfortunate thing of popularity for bourbon at times and this one was sold uh to uh, you know to people who follow me who've been right. you know follow me for a while and into a you know to a group and within the retailers like vip and a couple people put it on the secondary it's like
0: over four or five thousand dollars oh yeah wow yeah it's good i like it it's not um it, it doesn't have that caramel or that sweet
4: it's um, definitely got the smoke yeah i was got gonna the say smoke is like yeah, yeah.
1: So let's uh, let's see where we want to finish this. Do you want to, You want to go with the, what's a the flavor profile that you're in, you're in the mood for right
0: now, John? I keep behind that whistle pig. What is that? Um, this is boss
1: hog. This is uh, this is a rye. Hmm.
0: Yeah, let's try a rye actually. Yeah, I I mean, a rye that's kind
1: of rye, yeah. that was uh, this particular bottle was best here. I got a fresh glass
0: for you. Okay, I haven't gotten that one yet. So,
1: and get get or
0: need another glass bud uh yeah sure here you go so fred can i ask you a question sure so like in the music business in art in general kind of you know nfts non-fungible tokens right a, around uh, for a minute and then the art world you know kind of got a hold of it and and we could have a whole different podcast on that conversation but i'm actually doing uh, some nfts yeah on some some artistic stuff yeah very cool so um but i just recently saw um somebody developing kind of a secondary market using um nfts and blockchain Mm -hmm. um what are your thoughts about that in general
1: uh for bourbon was it specific for bourbon or something else yeah uh, I saw I think I saw that um, yesterday It's a very recent development yeah I mean you know it's a it's a roll the dice anytime you are as you are selling alcohol because this is regulated you right. got to have a license you know right. and if if there if you do it in a in a particular state like Pennsylvania uh, Texas um, you know somewhere like kansas you know where they have very aggressive alcohol border controls or abcs right they will find you and they will permit an individual you. level
0: yeah like, like just me selling a collector to another collector
1: and that's it's that's quite a bit safer uh right. i mean in it and in some states you could argue it's a hobby right like a hobby uh sell but the one across the state line that's where things right. get tricky and it, and it's all about like if you're creating it, a marketplace
0: it's a different conversation yeah
1: right. yeah but if you're in an individual trading selling right. you know i mean it's a gray area mm-hmm. and you know if someone wants to be a stickler about it which the ab texas abc is mm-hmm. um the state of michigan is the state of michigan will pursue you to high heavens if they find out right. that you're a it, can, it has nothing to do with the fact that you don't that you you're selling alcohol it's the fact that they're not getting their cut get their you know they want their royalty yeah <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, but uh, I, I think it's interesting and you know the whole um, Bitcoin thing is a uh, it seems like it's mainstream now and everyone's talking about it all the time but yeah. is is, uh, is that something we can see being converted for music where like people uh,
0: are paid in Bitcoin or is that requested even now
4: I haven't heard of any
0: Yeah, I haven't either, but it doesn't, I got to guess there's somebody who's asked that. Um, There has been by groups that, um, not decentralized, but centralized. um, So where companies actually own the token, um, where they've gone out and tried to kind of seed uh, the music business or at least an infrastructure idea to use their particular token. and because, you know, using a, a cryptocurrency versus a blo- the blockchain is two separate conversations, right? The blockchain is absolutely something that can revolutionize infrastructures and especially the way the music is fragmented around the world. Because those ways we were talking about getting paid, don't forget that's happening everywhere in every country. I don't care how minor that country is, there's still a mechanism to get paid. And from, I remember sitting in a cafe um, in, Lake outside Lake Nakuru in in uh, Kenya twenty years ago or something, and hearing Ace of the bass, and I, first of all I was like, really I had to hear the song, you know, the, the <laughs> one cafe I'm in, and um, uh, which I'd love to own that song by the way now, and uh, in in knowing that somebody's getting paid for that actual usage, right? So um, it's it is influencing it. I think you're going to see it more on the blockchain side than you're going to see it. What you are seeing is the idea of an NFT for underlying music rights. So same thing you were talking about, like, is that technically going to be legal and how those rights pass? Not not the actual transaction part, but between SEC rules, copyright statutes, there's a lot of things to try to take into account. Um, Because Mark was saying, you know, selling a copyright to another party Or financing a copyright, whatever it may be, and using a token uh, or an NFT to do that—to say you bought one of hundred, you know, an exclusive—and then you get one one hundredth of a share of the earnings or some you know portion of the earnings off that—that changes, you know, that's different than selling a collectible, which is attached to an artwork, right? So it's it's finding its way right now. So, I mean, like what I do and what part of what Mark does is. I advise people on the buy and sell side of of copyrights. Uh-huh. You know, by legendary you know artists. I'm lucky because my business is very focused on on those folks. And so,
1: what's one of the biggest uh, deals you've done?
0: Well, outside my own companies, I, would, I mean, I would say the Imagine Dragons oh, transaction yeah. last year yeah. was at the time the, the largest uh, copyright transaction that had ever been done. And then the guy, I can't remember his name, Bob Dylan, I think, yeah, <laughs> came and did one. that was like magnitudes, you know, larger than that. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Anyway. And
1: then you, you then you know this is makes the news every now and then. You see the differences between what uh, Prince's estate thinks his stuff is worth and what the IRS thinks yeah. is, is worth. Do you do you get brought into? to give like a, a formal declaration of a value. That's interesting you t- say
0: that. Um, my, I, I've done that on behalf of my clients. Um, it's, a, it's a really fascinating process. Um, they don't, the IRS isn't usually, you know, from my experience, which is limited intentionally, um, is they're not usually arguing for some exorbitant difference in value, they're usually you know kind of more around, is this something that should be done or not done, right? Um, so, you know, different situation in the in the print situation, I think. Um, but it's also is complicated. They,
1: they're kind of pretty far apart, right? I mean, yeah, I think the publications. Yeah, it's it's
0: uh, they're pretty Nine far apart. apart. <laughs> it's a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing, too, is there's a I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. Like, I don't know anyone, um, and I know all the leading, and Mark does too, valuation experts in, in music publishing. That's a, a section of the of the business I used to do. I purposely don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know anyone who's ever represented the IRS. So who are they relying on, then, to tell them what the values are? They usually get some, like... I know. I'm yeah, well, <laughs> not going to say yeah, no. yeah. yeah. Well, yes, that's a different situation. This is like if Mark had like a little more, maybe that would come out. But um, but my point more so is that they end up going to like more generalist. Um, you know, so you'll see who gave them an opinion or something. Mm-hmm. And it's somebody that none of us have ever heard of. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, what about this? What about that? And they're like, we don't know, you know. And so that's where these gulfs come in because... We have really technical things like reversions right. you know i mean you're an author you know you would benefit from reversions as well so after a certain period of time you get your copyright back if you've given your assigned your copyright to somebody by I f- law
1: yeah i fought for my copyright to get it back after i had uh, uh one, one of my first book deals gave it away my film rights was a really bad deal right. and uh but you know leverage right yeah i was a nobody in uh in 2000 you made the choice you made 11 and right. yeah. and i got it was the only publisher that said yes to the book deal right. i took it ran with it and then when i became somebody hey guys let's uh, let's change this up a little bit that's right so it um it, it, it i definitely know that what you're talking about there um is the, so let's pick one more whiskey for you and we'll kind of kind of close it out i'd like for each of you to talk about a favorite artist that you worked with and uh kind of give us a, a a an artist you worked with that you'd like to tell a story about you i i can't say favorite because then i don't i don't want to get you in trouble no. with, with someone but um
0: we have favorites for sure
1: i would like uh <laughs> mark I, mark i want you to taste the the uh the the makers just because so uh a while back i did a you know the glass yeah we got uh just the other day or just a f- couple weeks ago i sent uh i sent mark my my leftover uh whiskeys for my for a taste off i did with um Shit. with some makers mark picks and and he did them all and he got them all exactly like i did without watching my my show or anything and wow. he, w- he was only like two off and this so was, what
4: i did i would uh I would stop and start your show before you did the year. so I would. Probably, right. He'd say, "Hey, now it's one versus seven. so I'd right. get one and seven out I'd pause the show, and I'd do it. My wife sat and watched me do it the whole time; she was laughing her ass off. Um, but yeah, I hit it. I only picked one different than him, and then also he had drank all of the winner in the second place, yeah. so I didn't technically get to try the winner or the second place. But on down the on down the ladder, we. Uh, and that's we right the, that's on the it.
1: first seed right there.
0: But let me, let me say one thing, doing a whiskey, you know, pick a barrel pick with you is like, you know, it's like sitting in the room when, you know, somebody writes the best copyright song of all time. And I say that because I remember sitting there and first of all, we knew because you were with us, they're going to pick really good stuff, right? They're going to bring out the best of the best. And they're probably going to throw a couple over here, but they're going to bring out really good stuff. And and watching you go through and kind of tasting and you know you have a unique ability i think because i can see i could see the gears turning but at the same time you're like yeah you're still like jovial you got you're kind of giving them a little you know like you know a little uh critic yeah actually at the same time but you were like and it was really fascinating process to watch you go through it because it's dramatic they're pulling the the thing out right and yeah the thief yeah. and, and yeah. it's just such a cool process and you're just going and then you get paranoid as like me just somebody knows nothing and you're like oh, I don't know do I like this or not like it you know <laughs> and yeah I like that one then everybody's like I like that one you know and it was it's a really it's we a were really all cool a bunch of right.
4: amateurs among a professional yeah. so yes it was quite fun and, it, and now you're kinda interesting how it come about too because it's really just yeah. Chance happening yeah. that it ended up working out this way. We had already right. arranged to go do this barrel pick at Buffalo Trace. Uh, I think it was like June, and it wasn't but a couple of weeks before we were going to make the pick that I was having dinner with Danny Wimmer, and uh, he said, "Oh, can can you push that and and let's do it in September around the Bourbon and Beyond Festival, and and we'll bring my buddy Fred. You'll get to meet Fred, and that that's how it all ended up happening. Yeah. It was over at yeah. dinner with Danny Wimmer he, yeah. that we ended up. Uh, Thank re- you, Danny. Re- 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 yeah. Thanks, Danny.
1: Danny, Danny's a good friend who's opened a lot of doors for me. I'll, I'll, I'm very thankful for that
0: friendship. Yep. And, cheers. And cheers. Yeah. Cheers and, to Danny and Danny. Yeah, the Danny's. To the Danny's. The they yeah. toast with coffee. They're great hosts as well. Good people. They really are.
1: All right, so a good artist story uh, to kind of leave on a, on a good note here to make everyone feel the warm and fuzzies about Like, do you want,
0: like, moisture. a crazy story, or do you want to –
4: I've got one, and it's not even a client, nobody I've ever worked with before, but it was an experience at at Bourbon and Beyond. Okay. We we were at Bourbon and Beyond, and uh, we were hanging out backstage, and Dave Grohl was standing over, just kind of hanging out. Me and John had history with Dave, so we went and started talking to him, and just wonderful guy, like very conversational, very just like you and I, let's cut up and have some bourbon and tell war stories, and so we're exchanging stories. And then Trey Anastasia walks up, and then it becomes, I didn't know if you and, they, and then it becomes a back and forth between Dave and Trey, and me and John are just sitting here like, but not, oh, but my hold God.
0: on, I know. Let, let's let's give Dave credit. So Dave, you could tell he felt awkward. Like Dave was like, you're at a dinner party, and there's you know three people standing around. The three of us are like drinking and having a great time, and somebody comes in, and and we're like, okay, circle opens up a little bit to let the person in. And then that person is just like this talking, like not acknowledging us, right. uh, you know, and I was just like, I never liked your band anyway. you know. And uh, and Dave's like going, hey, you know, uh, this is, uh, uh, so, you know, like trying to remember our names, you know, or whatever. And he's trying to kind of integrate everybody into the conversation. And then we're like, hey, we'll let you guys go. And Dave's like, all right, man, it's great to meet y'all. Hopefully I'll see you around. Just super cool. And uh, and Trey's like, hey man, you know, we're like, all right, so. <laughs> You went right the there. You fun. went there.
4: Well, I know. It was a good time. I just remember because totally it's like, you know, getting two people that are that deep into the business yeah. into a back and forth conversation. It's just things you don't hear every yeah. day. And, right. And I tend to, my conversations are always tilted more towards the business side of music. Right. And that conversation was definitely more towards a, you know, the music, the, you know, events and things are going on. So it's just a different angle from what the yeah. conversation.
1: And you're still, for. I mean, I, I see it all the time, man. You're a fan. You are still a fan of I the music. music. I love music. You know, we got to, you know, we got to have that incredible experience seeing Garth Brooks, you know, like a 50 person room, you know, I, you just, you, you still fanboy out it's cool.
4: I, I absolutely do. And I, I guess I'll add one more story. I mean, cause, not to brag that I, I have a great job or a great career, but even on bad days, like I have very few bad days in what I do, I really enjoy what I do. Um, and over the last five years, I can probably count on two hands the number of bad days that I've had. And I, I'll remember one day I was having a shitty day. I mean, we're talking just, we're no, talking, not talking hangovers. No, not we're hangovers. Nothing right. alcohol related. No, nothing's, just, rolling not, the right nothing's right. Nothing's going right. We got okay. deals falling apart, things going sideways, just nothing going smoothly. And I, it was getting to the end of the day, and it was an awful day and uh my office is right across the alley from rca studio b which was where uh you know huge albums huge country albums have been recorded right. most recently like stapleton's albums sturgill simpson records there with with dave cobb as their producer and i i got a phone uh, a text message hey uh come come across the alley for something special and, and I didn't know what it was, but obviously, if I'm walking across the aisle to Studio B and somebody tells me it's something special, it's probably something special. And I walked in, and there was like ten of us in the room, and and Jason Isbell, one of my favorite singer-songwriters yeah. of all time, him and Amanda were just up there trying out some new songs and played for like ten of us in the room, and you know, so even on the shittiest day of all time, I got to see one of my favorite artists, and right. songwriters, wow, uh, sing and perform in the most private settings like divine intervention right yeah yeah totally it's like i was ready to give up and just hell with this job you know nope wow it showed me why why i love what i do that's what
0: i tell people you know mark and i you know it's great to have a good friend in the business a little bit so we can kind of you know catch each other when we're having those days um but is when something kind of goes south or sideways or you know Artists are and uh, writers are who they are because you have to have the ability to, you know, express emotion in a different way. Sure. Um, and sometimes they're some of the most quiet people, and then they stand on stage and they become an entirely different person. And it's yeah. it's just fascinating to get to know people like that. Um, so I was going to say with, um, you know, story wise, like I can think of stories all the way across kind of you know the spectrum from you know, and you never think about it so somebody asks you that question and you have a minute to actually have some bourbon and kind of you know, <laughs> rewind the, the the clock a little bit and and um you know like i can think of you know i'll give can i kind of tell kind of a couple stories sure oh he's like i gotta wrap this thing up wow. so we're good no i would just say that like the opportunity um, to see Bruno Mars. Love like, Bruno Mars. So, so Bruno um, came into our as a, a songwriter with our company through another transaction and some other folks and got to know him a bit. And um, his career had kind of taken a little sideways bend for a second and wasn't no one was quite sure what was going to happen. Was this pre or post Super Bowl? Oh, this is way rainforest. before that. this okay. is oh, yeah. yeah. He had he had been signed to Motown and Motown let him go. Okay. And um was kind of trying to find his way. And um and so and you know like we'd go see him at the Viper Room, you I used to live in LA. And um he said, "Hey, come out." You know, so we'd go out and see him and there'd be 20 of us there, right? So um we did some things to really try to kind of support him in his career and um and he returned that favor and this was before the i think it was before the bob song which is really the launch of when his trajectory changed um nothing yeah. but you right nothing but you but yeah um and that's a great story for another day as well and how that actually came down and happened but um we we used to have this notorious christmas party attended by you know a big sloth of the industry is amazing uh, at our offices on Hollywood Boulevard. And and, and Bruno played that with Philip, um, who's still part of his you know, band and kind of his you know, right hand guy. And and it was so fun because, like Bruno does a cover of Roxanne, you mm-hmm. know, for example, and they like did that. And so, and I, and they and they had a lot of the dancing and different moves and it was just fun to see where that was playing on our second floor, you know, on a makeshift stage and then up there. And then he stopped, and on the other end of the room was Bob Mold, who you know was the, you know was in Husker Du, and it's still just incredible. And like for me, that's like a dream night. You know, cause I'm having fun with Bruno, and he's not a star at that point. You know, he's a guy hustling and trying to make it happen, but super fun. Everything you see now is what it was then too, and it was just like, oh my God, you're so good and so much fun. You can't not walk away without just feeling right. great, right? And then on the other end, you see this guy who's you know, pioneer of the punk movement who I idolized and just thought was incredible. Um, so that, you know, some of the great kind of times I've got whiskey stories, too, which I've told you some, but we're not going to talk about those. <laughs> right. And then the other one that I, I really loved was getting when you get to know or meet your people that you really like, right, that you're fans of. And I will say this, I will say 80% of the time, it might be different country, but 80% of the time, it's not what you thought. I mean, really? you don't want to meet them. There's kind of a saying a lot of times people say, yeah. don't meet your, you know, yep. people you like. You
4: don't want to know who they are. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, um, but I've had the opportunity to meet, you know, to publish and work with a couple that are amazing and some of the, you know, but one in particular was a guy named Iggy Pop. Oh, so, Iggy Pop, yeah. So Iggy, um, jim or james but iggy which is always like what i call him you know did, but, did
1: he walk around shirtless in like the no. like meetings or <laughs> so, the so
0: if you've ever like seen if you saw the stooges Iggy stooges um, documentary for example or have ever read anything about him what you realize because he was like i think he was like class president in high school or something you know he's a super intellectual smart dude right and uh and And I love the fact that he was that guy, but this was his expression, and probably part of it was commerce, and part of it was actually an artistic expression. But um, so got to know him a little bit, and um, we were published, and he was thinking about his catalog back in that day and what was happening with them. And because he's kind of gone through some different phases, but the Stooges, you know, kind of dropped out for a while and then came back right, and before the Ashton Brothers passed, um, Ron in particular who like really created that sound because people don't realize I Want to Be Your Dog and those songs came out in the, you know, late 60s. I mean, it's incredible. The songs are 50 years old now and if you listen to them, they're like sound like the darkest, grungiest punk, you know, kind of even today. So so this is a little bit of a funny story. So working on the, you know, talking about doing a deal together and these different things and Jim would call up or Iggy would call up directly. And, you know, and it was always that thing when your assistant would go, uh, Iggy's on the phone and you're like, Oh shit, Iggy's on the phone. Okay. Man, you know, listen
4: this.
0: <laughs> hey, you know, and, um, and, and he has this real distinctive voice. Um, so he, a couple times he called up and said, what do you think about like what's happening in the market? And he'd just start talking about all the things that were happening in the stock market. And, and it's not like, after I got to know him, I knew that was not unusual, but trying to reconcile those two things, you know, you see this guy on stage and it's just absolutely crazy and fun and just intense. And then you'd have these like really casual conversations, you know, it's like, you know, I was looking at the 10 year note and I was thinking that, the, you know, it's like a real deep financial analysis. And so, yeah. so that was, that stuff's cool. You know, that's the best times.
1: Well, you know, my takeaway, you know, from today, it's that you all are in the artist's camp and when when it's when it's just right, you know, the, they become more than just your clients or your friends sure. and and um, I, I look forward to learning more uh, about all of this and the stories that we can't make public because that's where the good stuff is. Not that this <laughs> was not good because this was great, but I'm talking about the juicy scoops that, uh, you know, we get after a few more bourbons. But
4: so real quick, favorite show of all time. Not we don't have to go too deep, but your favorite live event that you've been to music-wise,
0: besides Bourbon and Beyond.
1: Uh, honestly, which uh, was a
4: great event by the way. A little plug for Bourbon and Beyond. Oh, I don't yeah. know if it's going to happen again, but but uh, the other year, man, amazing show. Anybody in that area, you got to go see Bourbon and Beyond. One of the best shows I've up. ever seen. Yeah, Seriously, absolutely.
1: we we put a lot of work into that, and I, I hope it. I hope we do pull it off next year uh, and I hope everything gets back to normal uh, but best show I ever saw um, is gonna have to be Garth Brooks and in, in mm-hmm. when he did the small Vegas room uh, my wife took me there for our birthday before we had kids and I'm an Oklahoma State grad he's an Oklahoma State grad we made um, you know I, I made a list that he was on for like the the greatest Cowboys of all time from Oklahoma state that's our, right. um, you know, that's our nickname is the Cowboys. Right. I mean, granted, I was like 99 on a list of hundred or something like that. And, you know, he and Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas are right up there. And then, the um, you know, some, somebody who invented a computer or something, you know, people who actually matter a whole lot more than me, but I was just like,
4: Oh my God, I made Elizabeth, list. You're, you're way more fun.
1: I made Elizabeth Garth Brooks, And like Garth is, that's uh, amazing. Garth is like, to me, he's, everywhere he has ever gone and everything he ever does. He always incorporates Oklahoma state and that, and you know how it is. You went to Tennessee, actually, I don't know where you went to school, Southern Southern Illinois, Illinois. Uh, Southern Illinois. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, wherever you go, your, your alma mater where you went to college and had all those incredible times and everything, it just always goes with you. And so Garth in his performances, he always brings in Oklahoma state, but there was something special acoustically. In that Vegas, um, in that Vegas amphitheater, that's where he did his residency. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. this was, at was it at the win. Yeah, Winn? it was at the Wynn. Yeah, yeah, it was just something special about the acoustics in there. And I've seen. Well, they Garth- built
4: that place just for him. They designed that show around. Oh, I didn't there. know that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was a big residency. Was there. it the one at the Wynn? At the Wynn, yeah. yeah, yeah, So yeah. one so really Fogarty did a
0: lot. went to at, after? The, yeah.
1: So he, uh, so then he had to basically build his own kitchen to cook in, I guess, but. But yeah, Garth has always been very special to me, and um, I'd say after that, um, uh, my very first concert was Journey with my aunt Shannon when I was when I was like five or six, and you can't beat their that last Thursday. Yeah, How did, they still got it? They
4: still got it. Steve little, Perry's little, not a little bit different crew on the stage. Yeah, Steve their, Perry's. Uh, I mean,
0: yeah. you know. I yeah, Got a good young, energetic guy. You that saw guy the, puts uh, on a show. Yeah, you saw the original lineup. Yeah,
1: I mean, we're talking five or six years old. So, like, I can't, oh, no. I can't tell you anything. But I remember feeling the pounding in my yeah. chest, yeah. smelling all the weed in the air, which I didn't know what it was at yeah. the time. Yeah. But it was, it was, uh, it was just an incredible, euphoric moment uh, of of being a child. And that's that was where I first fell in love with with you know music you know music uh, they got an amazing review
4: for their Lollapalooza performance
0: did they yeah cool Yeah.
1: Lollapalooza boy they they showed up well Well, that's gonna that's gonna do it for this episode boys let's uh Let's let's enjoy the rest of the evening. I might uh, I might end up cracking one or two before the night's over. Don't want to force you into anything, Fred. you yeah. want
4: bullshitting when you said you weren't going to drink? I yeah,
1: listen. Lying. No, listen, man. I gotta I gotta I gotta practice the load management. Yeah, yeah. LeBron James is the.
0: We need you, man. We need you for I, the long haul. We I gotta, gotta get to the
1: finals. We can't. I, uh, I gotta take care of myself here, yeah. Mark. I can't just every time I get with you, like Allison said. You know, my liver wakes up next to me, so I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta be careful
0: when I'm around you. Apparently, five percent. He gets five percent for that song. Right?
2: It
0: is. There you go.
2: Well,
1: okay. thanks for coming on, boys. I will. Uh, we're gonna turn the cameras off and let the good stuff happen. All right, cheers, everybody. Thanks, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Now we sipped a lot of bourbon there. A lot of bourbon. And when you sip a lot of bourbon people tend to open up and tell you things that they maybe should not have now i don't know if john or mark did that but hopefully if they did our friendship is still intact and they um you know i didn't violate any kind of you know code of uh of friendship there but a big shout out to them for coming on the show really enjoyed that uh the the lowdown on the music industry and and how that all breaks out, and just so cool to learn. Uh, I also want to tell you, again, I I said this at the top. I said this last week. This is the biggest uh, sponsor the show's ever had, and if you head on over to DraftKings.com and enter code FRED for a shot at millions, you are not only giving yourself a shot at winning big time, you are supporting this show. You are showing uh, DraftKings that the Fred Minnick Show is as worthy as any of the other places they advertise, so I appreciate that. Head on over to DraftKings app right now and use the code FRED. This week, new customers can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Enter code FRED to get free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with your first deposit. That's code FRED, F-R-E-D, only at DraftKings. The official fantasy partner of the NFL. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. But that's going to do it for this week, folks. Please be safe out there. Be safe. And if you would be so kind, give us a review on however you listen to this podcast. And remember, vodka sucks unless it's being used for hand sanitizer. Cheers, everybody.
2: You've been listening to The Fred Minnick Show, brought to you by 291 Colorado Whiskey, by Mictors, by Heaven Hill Brands, and DraftKings. Enter Fred at DraftKings.com for a chance at millions of dollars in prizes with first deposit. For more information about Fred's books, articles, and more, just go to FredMinnick.com.